Welcome to PR360, where every week the brightest minds in public relations, communications, and media discuss the topics and trends you need to know about. PR360 was produced in partnership with Global Results Communications. Now here's your host, Todd Perry. Hello and uh, welcome back to PR360. And before we get to today's interview, I'd like to do a quick shout out to uh, Justin Cook, Matthew Mendoza, and Fatima Leone uh, over at Global Results Communications. I know this show, it says produced by Todd Perry and it has my name on it. And I was listening to that and uh, given the amount of work that these guys do in finding guests and uh, arranging everything, uh, I'd like to make sure that they get their names on this show too uh, because they're doing great work and uh, I don't want to, you know, make anybody overlooked. Uh, This is, it takes a village to make a podcast, as they say. On today's show, we have Jason Wells, the CEO of AI Dev Lab, a machine learning development consultancy. He's also the managing director of M West Ventures, an AI-focused venture fund. Jason has developed over 20 AI products and lived on six different continents. And when he's not changing the world through AI, he's an accomplished athlete, having competed in three Ironman triathlons and 10 marathons. So Jason, is there anything that I missed? Oh, that's enough. The rest of it just gets really boring anyways. (laughs) Okay, well, let's get to the fun stuff. Um, Obviously, you're on the cutting edge of AI technology, and I feel like where we are and our listeners are, we're just kind of trying to get up to speed here. I'd say that if, you know, this is the equivalent to somebody talking about the internet in 1994, where you're like, I think... I know what's happening here, but we need to be educated a bit. So just to make sure we're all on the same t- uh, same uh, page here, can you give us a brief overview of what we mean when we talk about, quote, practical AI or artificial intelligence? Yeah, you bet. And, and I talk a little bit more with my clients about practical AI versus AI in general. A lot of times when we think about AI, it is science fiction robots who are, you know, destroying the world. And uh, that is still in the theoretical realm today. And so I like to get down to the practical AI. What is useful to solve tangible problems today? And it really doesn't start with a theoretical idea about what can artificial intelligence do. It really says, what problems am I facing in my business or what opportunities do I see? And can AI help in solving that? So I I start in that realm, but AI or artificial intelligence kind of under that bucket or in that umbrella, you'll hear words like machine learning, just a a component of AI, Mm -hmm. reinforcement learning, supervised learning. Um, There's narrow AI, which is focused on a specific task versus AGI, which is artificial general intelligence. So that's when it's that's the robot thinking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so I guess a lot of people, they're starting to use like chat GPT. That to me feels like some kind of breakthrough where it's, you know, entering everybody's home or workplace. And I just started and I'm on I've chat GPT. I've got four and it helps me out with doing some creative things, especially as a writer, as a communicator. Sometimes when I just need almost just somebody to bounce ideas off that's not in the room, I find it's really helpful. Like, um, can I have uh, 
10 reasons why somebody doesn't want to um, look at a QR code when they go out to dinner. And then, you know, populate some ideas if I'm writing an article, right? I, I think it's it's fun in that way. And so there's ChatGPT3, and, and I'm on four, and there's a five coming. What's the difference between the different iterations? Let's take it back just a little step further, because these are, GPT is a generative, pre-trained transformer. So what it's doing is it's it's a model that learns from, in this case, language. So to generate language and, and, and a lot of words and language and figure out how those words come together. It's pre-trained and it's a transformer. So you can use that. These first started coming out in 2017, 2018 with BERT out of Stanford and Google. And they've continued to progress. GPT-3 GPT-3 was uh, about 172 billion parameters. So the number of parameters, the number of calculations that are made to to give you that next word, like to write that next word, it uses 172 billion of those. And so, oh, real quick, does it does it put that same effort into every word? Right? It is, is, it, is it going through all the machinations for everything? or So it's boiled those down into these parameter settings, right? So it's built in. But essentially, those calculations are pre-trained so that when you see the word, you know, in the summer, I love to go, well, you're not going to say skiing, right? So it's a probability. What is the next word? So it's got parameters that are looking at all those words and saying, what's the next word? And that's how it writes. Now, when you move to GPT-4 and... It hasn't been exactly released, but the estimates from experts say that it's a trillion or close to a trillion wow. parameters or hyperparameters that are that are in that model. And and some say, now nobody's committed to this, but research analyst reports by like Morgan Stanley and, and assessments based upon how many servers they're buying from NVIDIA are predicting that GPT-5 will be two to five trillion parameters. Wow. <laughs> Mega okay. compute power. Now, this starts to get to the number of, of syn- uh, syn- synapses. Uh, synapses in your brain. So, oh. so it's, it's, a, it's a compute power and waiting and learning from all these interactions of words and how they might be displayed and, and presented. So that's kind of a, a lot, but it kind of helps you understand size is one of the things the process of what they're doing. Now, part of the reason that GPT 3.5 got really good, which is the foundation of chat GPT and now GPT 4, is OpenAI developed reinforcement learning with human feedback models to to do kind of the same thing you did with, um, I think it's a, was a big blue? I don't know if I've, who, who uh, was trained and learned to play chess. Okay, okay. That's and so it's these reinforcement models. That's what's happening. These models are getting bigger and, and smarter, and then now they're learning along the process. Wow, okay. See, now, see, this is one of the great things where I love doing this show because now I feel like I'm 10 times smarter about this stuff than I was going in. Also, the benefit of being the interviewer is I don't have to know the answer. And... <laughs> 
Sometimes I go, oh no, I'm, I'm talking AI stuff I don't know about. And they go, oh wait, Todd, that's fine. you're just the guy asking questions because you actually don't know the answer. So it's good. Uh, so when it comes to say, you know, as we were saying earlier with Chat GPT, it feels like it's like the I don't know the first thing that's entered into the the home that people just kind of mainstream people are using. What do you think is the next iteration of AI that's going to be akin to that that we're going to start using? So one of those things that's actually before ChatGPT is if you look at self-driving vehicles and Tesla to begin with has probably one of the better self-driving models. Um, that's AI, right? We've mm-hmm. been, uh, we, we've been, that isn't in the house, but it's in the car. Okay. And, yeah. and that's probably going to take a leap next year uh, in, in really becoming, once we get truly self-driving cars, and some of that's legal battles, you know, and regulations versus, you know, what ChatGPT didn't have to go through, but is now addressing, uh, you know, yeah. with a lot of congressional hearings about how do we control this. So so there's there's other factors besides the model capabilities that drive it. But we see computer vision um, has a lot of abilities, and that will be coming more and more into into our daily use. Right. Okay. Well, um, I can imagine when the self-driving car thing really, really gets going and about how like, there'll be like one accident and everybody will freak out, right? Whenever there's a, but then, you know. My daughter's had two accidents. I should put her off the roads, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh man, I know, I know how that goes. Uh, Well, you know, just like AI, teenagers do learn how to drive a car, right? It is a learning process. That's a, now, that's a really good point. And I tell people a lot as I talk to them is AI has to learn. It has to learn from experience. And you either give it data sets with enough variation. It's like you can have your teenager drive on the surface streets. But as soon as she got on the freeway, it's like totally different yeah. because it's a different experience. The same thing will happen if you're using AI and you train it on on one type of environment or these different examples. And if you give it a different example, it doesn't know what to do. It may throw its hands up. So it's not too dissimilar than a a toddler learning. Yeah. And you know, the funny thing is it's actually learned how to be me. This was a very freaky thing I experienced where I've written many articles like human interest stories and stuff that have appeared online. So I went on, chat GPT and I said, could you write 70 words on, I don't know, I forget the topic. And I said, could you write it in the style of Todd Perry from the website Upworthy? And it said, yes. And I said, what, how does he write? And it explained to me my exact writing style and then knocked out something that was somewhat close to how I would have approached something. And it was both freaky and kind of beautiful in a weird way. It's, uh, I think things can be both. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it, it definitely is a little bit of both, but I see the, the, the amazing things that we'll see over the next few years. I, that there have been people that have said that this is, you, you, we are living now in one of the most significant technological changes we're going to see in, in all of mankind, in all of history. Yeah. And, um, and, and I need to say, we need to step back. This, this AI now, I got my master's degree in applied mathematics, and this was back in the mid-90s, early 90s. And, um, and 
we were building models that were predicting, uh, my thesis was on predicting real estate property values. Okay. Which now we call that an AI model. Right. So AI isn't necessarily new. What's happened is the compute power and these transformer models make it broader and more applicable to many things. You don't have to like purpose build something just for this. So that's what we're seeing happen right now. That's why it's the buzz and the awareness, but it's been around for a long time. Right. Uh, so I'm going to ask you to, I guess, move on, uh, remove your teacher's hat yeah. right now and go into the uh, CEO of AI Dev Lab. And when a client comes to you, uh, what what are the kind of common misunderstandings that people have when they come to you with a problem that they'd like to solve? So I think the the biggest misunderstanding is is what do they need to have? What kind of data? What do they want of it? And so what we see most of our talk right now is about ChatGPT, but um, you know there's a whole world of analytics that that goes on in whether it's computer vision prediction models recommender systems a lot of other things but first and foremost especially because of chat gpt the expectation that well it just it will just work right if i mm -hmm. want to do it this way something different that why can't i have it be like this and and sometimes that takes a lot of training data how do I train that? And how do I really get good? Because what you see is okay that comes out of ChatGPT, like amazing. But then when you actually try to use it in a very specific use case, when you want it to be accurate, people get stuck. And then they come to me and they say, hey, can you make this happen? I'm like, well, yeah, but let's talk about the trade-offs. What do you have to train it? Well, I don't. I mean, I just put, I just write a question, then it can give me an answer. No, no. if you really want it to do it right, um, we really need to train it. So data is one of the things, no matter whether it's computer vision, whether it's natural language, whether it's recommender systems, forecasting, it's, it's, that, it's that data. That is, that is a big piece that they miss. The other thing is AI is iterative in nature, okay. meaning, if, if, if you say, build me a website or build me a web application or a mobile app, I can give you the math. Okay, it's going to take this many hours to do this, this many hours to do that. With AI, it's like, I've got to build a first version. The human has to interact with it and then say, ah, well, I don't like this or I want this. I need to go that way. And then we iterate on that and iterate on that. Sometimes we back up and go in a different direction because you start to understand your requirements. So what I typically really push back and start with is, okay, let's forget about AI. What do you want to have happen? What do you want it to look like? And, and, and that's, that's, the, that's the other thing is the iterative nature of, um, of AI. Now, let's say that somebody, just for example, a simple AI thing I've engaged with, which was like the fine folks at Spirit Airlines had me uh, go in and, and try to, switch a flight one time and you know obviously it it had been trained through multiple iterations of people speaking with it uh, in order to spit out the correct information and engage with me appropriately right uh, this may sound like a dumb question but given the iterative nature and the amount of trial and errors that the spirit airlines speaking thing 
how, how did it get up to speed on that, right? Did, did they just have a bunch of people typing out at it for a long time to get it up to a point where it was workable? Or is it a beta test where they just have natural customers train it? Or um, obviously, this is a very specific thing. But Those are two actually really good methods that whether we like those methods or not, those are two methods that do happen. So for, for example, um, Google and Apple would run campaigns to get people to call in and to hear questions and they would record those calls and they would analyze that. So it's learning speech analytics there. So they get this, this material. You saw when OpenAI released the first ChatGPT, they started fixing stuff really quickly. Like, oh, yeah. oh, we can't say this. Oh, we can't say that. So, so as you interact, and I usually tell people, um, you can build an AI model, but like in the military, they say, um, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. <laughs> and I say, no AI model survives first contact with a user. It, <laughs> it, it, like it takes some interaction. But take example, there are people, um, so there's crowdsourcing, there's mechanical Turks, there's different, there are millions of, of annotations, of rewriting. So we've seen tens of thousands of people around the world are looking at images all day long, every day, and annotating and saying, nope, that's a car, nope, that's a tree, that's a dog. The same thing with language models. And uh, my understanding is that in, in ChatGPT, they had months to a year with over 40 people that were just writing questions, seeing the response, correcting the response, and doing that over and over. So there is a brute force in the beginning to most mm -hmm. language models. Again, that's one of those things that most people don't understand is that it, there is this tedious nature of it, which is creating learning. Yeah, you're just, you're just honing it and yeah. slowly Honing. shaping. And yeah, it's like a reverse erosion or something. Um, when, when, when clients come to you looking for new products, I'd assume, and especially just given the nature of this type of thing, that the greatest thing in the world would be, cha be being challenged to push this technology into to new spots where it hasn't been. What would be the dream project if someone came up to you and said, build me this, and what would that look like? All right, so I'm going to take it into the language. Well, I would go to a multimodal model, right, which can read and understand images as well as language. Okay. But... I, I believe that the next big wave that we're going to see in innovation, and this, maybe it's application of the innovation that's already happening, is taking these large language models and making them specific to your business, specific to one problem, where you have a lot of communication. So what you would do is instead of using an OpenAI ChatGPT as the underlying model, and then you just fine-tune it, you actually take a large language model, which has a foundation, and then you do the same thing for, let's say, um, medical diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, so I do know of, of a company, I don't have, uh, I, I can't say who it is, but it's a large database company 
That is building their own language model. They have hundreds, over a hundred million medical records, patient records of diagnoses, of tissue sample information, things like that, where they are building a model that can diagnose uh, medical, you know, medical conditions. Wow. And when you have that much information and that data, and you train it, you start with a base language model, but your entire language model is now this language. It's doctor communicating with patient, it's lab communicating with doctor, and connecting all of those pieces together. So those are, to me, some really interesting projects, which are significant, they're big, right? It's a lot of data, and it's a lot of coding and programming to ingest that information. Um, lots of work in that area and a lot of opportunities that I'm seeing where it's not quite as big as that, but there's this method of where you take a language model like a, a GPT-4 and you connect it with indexed knowledge graph of some other data source. It could be, it could be uh, your entire journal, you know, for, for your life. It could be everything you've ever done on the show, everything you've ever written, right? And you, you make that part of the language model by indexing that information and building in memory. Wow. So that is, I think, the, the, the kind of the next wave is, is taking what ChatGPT is or GPT-4 and making it your own for your company, your language. Wow. And when I hear things like that, it just blows me away when I consider the idea of, you know, when something like that is completely built, how does that change humanity when suddenly... Uh, you're getting healthcare in a much, delivered in a much different way, potentially much more affordably, and uh, available to even more people. Right? You know, you're you're just creating a whole another avenue for people to get some. You know, I I just read a, pa- a research paper that compared um, that compared to they, they they gave up information and had doctors diagnose. Uh, it's a very specific problem they were looking at. Doctors uh, versus a machine. And they found that the machine was even more empathetic uh, in that diagnosis and in the communication. So (laughs) I I think, I'll tell you another company that I work with um, that that analyzes the voice and the voice tremors, uh, the the wavelengths, the pitch, er, you know, all these things to be able to identify whether you're feeling lonely today or confident or um, angry. And so it's not in the words. And now when you think about combining these multimodal models, which can now communicate with you, you know, you might have, you know, a much nicer, more empathetic friend at some point that (laughs) who, who hears you and listens to not just the words you're saying, but, all of that can be assessed. So those are those are interesting future future directions. Well, don't tell my wife about any of this. Um, I would say <laughs> it got my brain going. Okay, so I assume right now with technology, with AI, we could we could create an AI umpire in baseball and have balls and strikes called correctly and and delivered with the correct authority and emotion as the empire should just the whole package right and no question but the drama you take the drama out of baseball right i okay. mean we we like we like the human drama don't we <laughs> yeah. i guess we have to, we have to have some humanity in, in this world still so i got to you know 
we're up against it. We're getting towards the end of the show, and I'd like to ask this uh, question about how your personal life and um, your business and you know uh, professional interests combine. Uh, as somebody who kind of runs marathons, competes in what to me seems like very extreme athletic um, performance. How does that align or work together or inspire the other side, which is maybe your professional life? Or are they just completely, you're too compartmentalized? No, it kind of, it kind of explains my nature. When I did uh, my first Ironman, you know, it's, um, it's 170 miles, 140 miles, right? Swim two and a half miles, bike 112 and run a, run a marathon you have to manage your nutrition in a totally different way. You can't just go out and run. And I got to, I love the details of the analysis. I I went and weighed myself, how much water do I lose in an exercise period of time of running, of biking, right? So I need to replenish that. Then I take, you know, you could take blood samples and you say, all right, how how much nutrients do I have to put back in? How much can my body absorb? And so I actually built this model for myself. Mm. That's it based on the temperature of the day, right? Based on my heart rate, my average heart rate, how much do I consume? And then, and then I actually broke it down into, you don't, you don't make the decision, Jason. <laughs> you okay. just take this. At this time, take this. At this time, take that. And because you're not thinking straight, <laughs> You know, yeah. when you're, oh, when you're, that condition. No, yeah. And so, it, I, I mean, sadly for my children, it, it connects too much. You know, sometimes they want a more, um, a less numbers centric analytical dude, and they just want, you know, daddy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just, yeah, just relax, dad. You know, just, yeah. That's funny. Um, Okay, well, I'd like to thank you so much uh, for coming on the show today, uh, Jason. And how can people follow you? What's the best way for people to be in touch or learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, um, I think a good source is AIDevLab.com. Soon we're going to release um, the lab. So we're opening up the, the, the things that we're messing with in the lab to let people try it and just use it. Like the first thing, and then mostly things that I'm just building for myself. I don't like the summaries that people have for call recordings, um, but I have another company that I um, that I was one of the founders in, and they're up and running. It's Pickle AI, and with them, we're building a um, a really good meeting recap. Right, so it has like these are the objectives we talked about. These are the action items. Anyway, so that's one of the things we're going to release to the wild so that you can people can play with it. And, and so on uh, AIDevLab.com, we'll have that. And then, of course, you know, find me at LinkedIn, Jason R. Wells. All right. Well, thank you very much. And it was a pleasure speaking with you. And I'd love to have you come back on sometime in the future when the topic of AI will be completely different because the world has changed and we have fed it new information. It will be. I've never seen this technology move this fast as it has the last six months. So interesting times ahead. PR360 was produced by Todd Perry in partnership with Global Results Communications. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review wherever you get podcasts. Follow GRC on all socials at Global Results. Follow Todd on Twitter at Todd A. Perry. That's Todd with one D. Talk to you next week.